In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The gospel reading we've just heard proclaimed begins on the evening of Easter Day. So it's appropriate that we still have all the flowers from a week ago. And remember that it was on the morning of that first Easter day that Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Christ in a garden. It's a place where God's story with us began, in a garden. And it's where God's son breaks out beyond the bonds of death. And from that place, Mary is sent as the first apostle. You catch that? Mary is sent as the first apostle to go announce the resurrection, the good news of great joy. But by the evening, the disciples, they're locked in a room. They're back in the house where Jesus had his last supper with them only days before. They're struggling, perhaps characteristically, to comprehend the mystery that is Christ struggling to make sense of it all. They're huddled in fear. They're locked behind doors. And they're locked up in all kinds of ways, aren't they? They can't imagine any way forward. What is the future now? They're confused. They're heartbroken. And they're on their way to being solidly depressed, without hope. And it's understandable because the world that seems so expansive, a world that seems so shot through with God's grace. Now it seemed like it was only a dream, a fairy tale that had a bad ending. To the more expansive world, the larger world that they'd come into contact with in the company of their friend and teacher, Jesus, that world shot through with grace seems finished. It's over, a pipe dream. All the healings, the forgivings, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, all of that was wonderful while it lasted, but it's finished. So what are they supposed to do now? Return home and be mocked? as foolish men perhaps try to land their old jobs again. Everything had felt so alive and charged, so full of meaning and purpose, only to be seemingly defeated by nailing God's dream on a tree. And it's precisely in the midst of that despair, their hopelessness, when fear has moved in and settled that Jesus turns up behind locked doors, and he has four words on the tip of his tongue, peace be with you. He shows them the marks, the nails in his hands, the hole in his side, and what they see must be terrifying, especially for Peter, as he has a flashback to his denials, as he looks on the wounds. But Jesus is going to take care of his heart, Jesus is going to make a way forward for Peter and for all the others. Because their sorrow, their despair, their shame, their humiliation, it's turned into joy because a future is made possible. A future is made possible because they see the Lord. 
John tells us in his gospel. Their teacher has contended with the nightmares of evil, the nightmares of hopelessness and death, and won. That's Easter. The victory is won. The crucified and risen Christ creates a future for his friends. Peace be with you. He enters into their closed-up room, again, that room that seems suffocating without hope, and he offers peace on the other side of death. It's a peace that the world can't give. It's a peace that the world can't take away. No matter how many times you put it on a cross or deny him, there's a future. There's a future for them. There's a future for us, a reason to hope because the peace that Jesus offers is resilient, stronger than death. It's the mystery at the heart of all reality. But you know, Thomas wasn't there in the room, right? That first Easter, Thomas wasn't there with the other 10. So he didn't hear, peace be with you. He wasn't sent to bear witness. He didn't receive the spirit that Jesus breathed onto his friends just as God breathed into humans at the beginning of creation, here is Jesus creating anew, afresh. Thomas wants to see him. He wanted to be in the room where it happened. He's not doubting Thomas. He's Thomas who's been with Jesus for three years and seen the healings and the forgivings and the raising of the dead of Lazarus. He needs to see it, to believe it just like the others did. They didn't believe what Mary Magdalene told them. They're locked up in a room. They all doubted. They all needed to see it, to believe it. So this story is not so much about Thomas's doubt. They all doubted. The Bible makes doubting normative. God can handle it, deal with it. It's a story about faith. It's a story about Thomas coming to faith in the risen Jesus. That's the point of the story, believing Thomas, not doubting Thomas. Because when he's invited to reach out and touch the wounds on that second Sunday of Easter, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus turns up, reach out, touch the wounds. We don't know if he did or did not. What we know is that he makes the strongest declaration of faith found anywhere in the entire Bible my Lord and my God. And did you notice that after Thomas's bold declaration of faith, Jesus speaks directly to us? And so does John the evangelist. We get sort of behind the scenes near the end of John's gospel. And we should start with Jesus because Jesus, he says, happy are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Do you know who that is? Us, right? Jesus, the living Christ speaking to us, happy are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. So gathered in this space on this second Sunday of Easter, the same Sunday that Jesus turned up to Thomas, here we are called together by the living Christ to hear his word, to celebrate his sacrament, and receive his spirit. 
Blessed are you who have not seen and yet come to believe. It's a word of encouragement from the Son of God to us. And then last, let's look at, lastly, let's look at what John has to say. We are his readers of, of the gospel. And it's almost as if, you know, while writing, as it were, he looks up from the page and looks directly at us and tells us why he's written the book. I've written it so that why you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you might have life, life in his name. And we talk a lot during Lent. Brenda mentioned the 40 days of Lent, but the 50 of Easter. In Lent, we emphasize reading the Bible, spending more intentional time in prayer. But I wonder if in these 50 days of Easter, there's not an opportunity for us to spend some more time in the mysterious world of the Bible, a world shot through with grace. And if we might engage it in the way that John intends us to read it. I've written it so that you might believe and have faith in his name. Read it so that we might deepen our love of Jesus Christ and so that we might discover the peace that he has on offer for each one of us and the future he's made possible for us and for the life of the world. So maybe we can read John or any book of the Bible with an openness to believe, to trust, to love. And if we do, we engage it with that spirit, it can change your life. And if your life has already been set on a new trajectory by the risen Christ, spending time in that mysterious world of scripture, a world shot through with grace, can give you bread for the journey, sustain you on the road of faith. As friends, God has made a way forward. God's made a way forward for us. And this morning, the Spirit's calling us to believe, put our trust in the power of Easter. This morning, the risen Christ is entering into the whatever locked rooms we have in our hearts. And he's announcing his peace. He is our Lord and God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.